Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Vince August podcast. We are now on episode 41. I want to thank everybody for all the comments, um, feedback on last week's podcast, which was uh, a sensitive topic, uh, watching social media and all of the outrage and, and the people weighing in and friendships ending and families falling apart with regards to this presidential election um but yeah i got a lot of positive feedback um with regards to just being back um you know doing another podcast and and i appreciate all of that um people telling me you know we we disagree what you said but we understand what you're saying and and we appreciate that so i you know all of the feedback was great um i loved it thank you very much um the other thanks I want to give to everybody is, you know, I had taken off four months from this podcast and we were dead last in the rankings on Potomatic and just absolutely catapulted um, all the way back into the top 10 percent. I think we got as high as like number 30 in news and politics. So, again, thank you very much, everyone. So let's move on. Uh, enough with the thank yous, enough with the uh, kissing up to you guys. Episode 41, we're going to kind of be all over the place here. Um, I have some, you know, I want to hit some social media stuff, some pop culture stuff. Um, uh, and I want to get into a little bit of law uh, with regards to a, a, a TV show that I've been riveted to, a, a miniseries that's on weekly, and that's The People versus O.J. Simpson. And then um, I do kind of want to get into some some class warfare, especially with regards to a Supreme Court case that a lot of people don't even know exists. And, you know, a lot of people think what's going on in our culture and society is racism. And I don't think so. I think that's the media playing on us. I have never believed um, racism to be anywhere near the problem in this country that class distinction is. I, I think in a capitalist society, class distinction is the number one form of suppression of people but we're going to get into all of that uh first thing i want to get into is you know flipping around through social media um and in our country and I do, I do a bit on stage our country seems to be always with extremes and and the one extreme that i see deals with health and fitness and what we have is we have the health fanatics the health nuts the people that are going to the gym five, six times a week, which I fall into that category. Um, people that eat perfectly, I definitely don't fall into that category. I got a sweet tooth like it's nobody's business. And then there's the people that fall on the other end of the scale um, that unfortunately I have seen a lot of, you know, I, listen, I love going to amusement parks. And for Christmas to New Year, we were at Disney um, with family and what I saw at Disney with regards to just general health and well-being of people, the amount of obese people, people going around on carts that I don't think had injuries um, and it was dealing with just obesity issues. It's amazing that the spectrum that we have in this country. Um, one of the things that I saw specifically in, in social media context was there was an, an article about a girl who went to go buy a dress and the clerk in the store made comment to the girl buying the dress that she did not feel the dress looked appropriate 
and the mother and the daughter immediately reacted to the clerk that this was some form of fat shaming. And this was shaming based upon um, the daughter's size and because she was heavier, you know, she shouldn't be wearing a certain type of dress. And, you know, in, in our society, it shouldn't matter what size you are. You're beautiful no matter what. There's a couple of things with that. One, with regards to beauty, I don't know what the definition of beauty is. I really don't. Um, and I'm not one to get caught up on saying, you know, you have to be a certain size in order to be considered beautiful or not. Because it, I mean, the phrase beauty is in the eye of the beholder is one of the, the truest statements we have with regards to people and attraction. So, you know, with regards to saying whether or not someone is attractive or not, that is one of the most subjective things ever. I mean, I I don't know anything that's more subjective than physical appearance and appeal. Um, Now, our society and our media certainly tends to favor or lean in certain directions based upon what you see put out there. When it comes to a different topic, and that's health, that is where you get out of the subjectivity and into a very objective standard. And the objective standard is that which falls into the hands of doctors and health specialists. Listen, your you know your cholesterol level has to be at a certain number in order to be deemed healthy or a health risk. Same thing with, you know, sugar levels in the body. You know, when you start approaching diabetic levels, um, you know, body fat percentages, heart rate, um, you know, cardiopulmonary uh, ability, you know, aerobic ability. All of that is a very objective standard. So, you know, really... The thing to me should not ever be about physical attraction. It shouldn't be. It should be about heavy versus healthy. And listen, if you look at in the NFL, for example, which everyone's familiar with, so if men or women are listening to this, I think we all know what the National Football League is. And we all watch the Super Bowl. And you're talking about men that are very, very large in stature. You're talking about guys that are you know, six foot and taller all the way up to maybe, you know, as, as tall as six foot seven, six foot eight, when you get into linemen, when you get into tight ends, weighing anywhere between 250 and 350 pounds, depending on the position, nose tackle, things like that. These are very large men. And obviously, when you if you look at them just in terms of body mass index, they would look and appear to be unhealthy. Now, these are professional athletes. They are trained to do certain things with their body, move objects, specifically other football players, tackle, hit, uh, be able to absorb hits, run at, you know, very high rates of speed, bursts of speed for quick periods of time. So they are conditioned for specific sports. And I think the average football play per play is anywhere between four and, you know, eight seconds. So you have to be able to exert an extreme amount of force or speed 
within that period of time. These are large men doing that activity. So even though they're heavy by professional athletic standards, they may be deemed to be healthy. Now, the one thing that we are coming to learn is they may be healthy for their sport and for a select period of time when they're playing. Um, you know, the movies that have brought controversy to this, the movie Will Smith did with regards to the concussion, this goes beyond that. Just the deterioration of their body over time shows that, you know, all of this body mass index, while it did make them millionaires, while it did put food on the table for them and their families and, and provide a source of income, it really takes a toll. So when our society starts talking about what's attractive and what's not, that's one thing, and that's a standard that's being put out there by media, by magazines, by uh, online you know, magazines and sources and, and, and all of that stuff. And it's perpetuated by people like the Kardashians and the, the Jenners and, you know, name the model Victoria's Secrets. I, I don't care what department store it is. You know, that image is, is out there. Look, even the Academy Awards, Oscars, Emmys, um, you know, they, they tend to focus on what the women are wearing to the award shows. And, you know, there's an entire TV channel when the, the Oscars are going on or there's an award show going on that's dedicated just to the red carpet. So without a doubt, there, there is a certain amount of attention being put on what is quote-unquote attractive and what's being shoved down our throat. I tend to say, you know what, listen, I don't care what the media says is attractive. I don't care what a magazine says is attractive. To me, the standard should not be appeal and allure, which is completely subjective. But to me, the standard should be healthy versus heavy. So I, I think while that woman was trying to make an argument on behalf of her daughter with regards to, you know what, my daughter is gorgeous, my daughter is this, my daughter, yeah, you know what, your daughter may be all of those things. And with regards to what she should or shouldn't be wearing, again, that's subjective. And, you know, just because something fits doesn't mean it looks good. That clerk was giving a subjective opinion, which working in a fashion store, I would assume that's part of her job. It's not just where is the dress because they're on the hangers. Um, do you have this size? I mean, yeah, look, go look. So I think part of a store clerk's responsibility is to give feedback. Um, if the store has a policy or, or a problem with their employees giving feedback, well, then you know, I have to tell you, every store I've ever gone in, and as a guy shopping for a suit or a tuxedo, you know, when you go and, and, and try something on, usually there's a, a male clerk that'll say, you know what, I think that's a little bit big. I think that doesn't fit right. The cut's not right. There are certain jackets because of my height. You know, you don't wear a long jacket. You wear, you tend to go with a shorter jacket. I'm only five foot ten. Um, 
you know, to wear tails, you need to be tall. So if a short person comes in who's five foot six, five foot five, and wants to wear tails, I'm assuming the clerk is going to say, listen, you're five foot six, you know, a tux with tails, one is out of style, two wouldn't look good on you because your your stature. So, you know, I think sometimes people try to get crazy on a topic with regards because it's so personal as to their appearance and things like that, that they don't step back for a second and just look at it for what it is. It's an opinion. It's advice. If it wasn't welcome, then you tell the clerk when you walk in the store, because a lot of times when you walk in the store, what's the first thing that happens? Someone runs over you. Can I help you with anything? No, I'm fine. Thank you. I got this. Um, But if someone comes over, may I help you? Yes, I'm looking for a dress for my daughter for the prom. Um, you know, I, I could use your help when that person starts to give help. Hey, you know, you, you got to accept it. Um, you know, my fiance's daughter went dress shopping for her wedding and she asked everybody for an opinion on it and everybody weighed in. So, you know, it's, it's just that it's an opinion, but there is something that you can't deny and that's heavy versus healthy. And I think that's where our society should be focusing And although everybody wants to say, um, size, whatever, I'm a plus size model or, um, you know what, I'm, I'm fine with my body. I'm comfortable within my skin. Um, and and like, you know, for example, I know Melissa McCarthy is big on this. Um, uh, the new comedian who's all over the place. Why am I drawing a blank on your name? Um, is, is very big on, you know, Hey, listen, I am who I am. And, you know, if you don't like it too bad, I could get a guy, uh, I, I could get a penis whenever I want, um, you know, and, and listen, that's fine. You can have that approach. And Oh, Amy Schumer. God, I can't believe I went blank on your name, Amy. I'm sorry. Um, Amy Schumer, you know, is, is I, I'm proud of what size I am. And if you don't like it too bad and, you know, her big joke on stage is I can get a penis whenever I want. Yeah, but I don't think that that's where we should be focusing. I think we should be focusing on healthy versus heavy. And we do have an epidemic in this country of heavy. We do have an epidemic in this country that is unhealthy. And I think people shouldn't be offended by advice with regards to their health, because that does affect the public at large. Now, listen, we we can't all be in perfect shape. I I struggle with weight issues (laughs) Big time. I am. Con- I, I, I don't call what I'm on a diet. I call it a lifestyle change. Um, I have a sweet tooth. It, it really it's difficult for me to control some of my eating habits. Um, I was raised in, in, a, in a household with Sicilian immigrants. God, we ate everything from snout to tail. Eight years ago, I gave up eating meat. I haven't gone back. I'm mainly a pescatarian. I will have chicken and turkey as my only other protein sources that come from animals Part of it is, you know, just my whole thing about being an animal lover, as hypocritical as it may be that I pick out chickens and turkeys. Yes, you can kill those and eat those and and not cows, uh, pigs and goats and other things. I know I'm a hypocrite when it comes to that. I do the best I can. Same thing. Well, why? You could kill a fish and a fish is what a fish isn't better than a cow or whatever. Listen, this is just my life choice. It is what it is. But I struggle to eat healthy. I always have. I do the best I can. I do it because I have injuries too. I have herniated discs in my back. I have a reconstructed right leg. It is better for my body 
and my injuries to be lighter in stature rather than heavier because I'm not carrying as much mass. It, it doesn't have the toll on the joints. This is all medical stuff, folks. And you can't deny the effect of weight, body mass index on your body and how it affects you in a healthy standpoint. Um, so while on the one hand, again, the attraction thing, I don't get caught up in that. You know, I, I don't get caught up on, you know, what, what constitutes beauty? Is it a size two for women, a size four, a size six, a size eight? I, I don't, I don't care about that. My concern, and I think where people are getting sensitive and they shouldn't be sensitive is the healthy aspect. And as far as how the health aspect does affect the public in general, and you say, well, so what? I'm, you know what? I'm fat. I want to be fat. I, I want to eat whatever I want. And what difference does it make in your life? Well, it does affect my life because, see, the cost of health care is what it is because of the fact that we do have costs being spread out over the entire public. So if we are fighting, you know, diabetes, heart disease, cardiopulmonary disease, if we are spending a lot of money on those medicines because as a society we have gone to being more obese than healthy, those costs get trickled down to me and everyone else. So you know what? In that sense, yes, your decision and choices does affect other people. So, and listen, same thing with cigarette smoking. I saw an article um, that absolutely blew my mind. Uh, this was in the Bergen Record Better Living section on Tuesday, March 15th this week. And this is in the front page of the, the Better Living section. Need to know, March 16th is Kick Butts Day, Youth versus Tobacco. Every day in the U.S., 580 kids under 18 become new daily smokers. I'm going to read that again. Every day in the United States, 580 kids under 18 become new daily smokers. To counteract this trend, Kickbuck's Day was started in 1996. The emphasis is to reach teens and educate them about the dangers before they start smoking. Um, here are some facts about tobacco use in the U.S. One in 10 high school students have smoked before age 13. One in five 10th graders have tried smoking. Three in 10 12th graders have tried smoking. Um, high school students currently smoking, 2.6 million. That's a lot. That number really blew my mind because I would think in a society that has, you know, become very health conscious. And again, we, we have, you know, God, there's CrossFit gyms everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's health and fitness on television. There's infomercials with, you know, Beachbody and, and P90X and all of this stuff. It's amazing to me that the tobacco industry is as strong as it is, nevertheless, with our youth. And again, this is one of those things where, well, you know what, what, what difference does it make on, you know, I, I want to smoke and I can't smoke indoors anymore and I'm smoking outside and who cares? No, we do care because it does affect all of us again, because the cost of the effects of smoking, secondhand smoke, it's you smoking and getting cancer. It trickles down to everybody. So 
forget about the appeal, forget about the attraction, forget about whether it's cool or not cool. Um, I think we do need to look at healthcare in this country, the healthy attitude, and it's not a, an issue of fat shaming. It's not an issue of, well, I got to look and, and, and fit in a size dress or suit that is appealing because, you know, the Kardashians say it is or, or you know, these models look a certain way. No, it's got nothing to do with that. That's not my argument at all. And, and it's great that you feel comfortable in your skin. And listen, like I said, there's a lid for every pot. So, you know what, as long as you're a good person, you're going to find somebody that loves you regardless. And, and over time, you know, listen, you're in a long term relationship. All looks fade. If you're, if you're in a relationship because of looks, then you know what? That says something about you. When you meet somebody, you, you, you tend to get past that after the beginning stage, although that, that initial attraction may be physical. Let me tell you something. I've been in many relationships with, with beautiful women that the initial attraction is physical, and then pff, it falls apart. Um, whereas you know, you, you're in a relationship with somebody, and, and there's a connection there. After a while, you don't care what that person looks like because you're on a different level of connection. So it's not a question about the physical appearance. To me, as long as you're a good person, that's great. This is more about healthy. This is more about the effect of being healthy and unhealthy and how it affects society, healthcare costs, and just the public in general. And again, I'm really surprised at the smoking. I'm really surprised at... The reaction to, you know, right away when someone is called unhealthy, it's, well, I'm comfortable in my skin. Uh, it's not always about that. It's not always about that. Here's the last point I want to make on this with regards to, um, you know, it seems that men get blamed for this with regards to women. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think women are much tougher on other women when it comes to physical appearance than men will ever be. In fact, I'm going to tell you something right now, ladies. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Most of us guys, when it comes to the attraction to a woman, the, the physical, like I said, it may be there at first, but after a while, we don't care as long as you're nice to us. And I know many women, when they get dressed to go out, they're not dressing to necessarily allure the opposite sex, as much as they're dressing to outdo the other women where they're going. So you know what? You can make this, and society has always made this about men are pigs and men are this and men are that. And eh, you know what? How about this? How about it's you doing it to each other and not so much coming from men? And I really, really believe in that point. I think women are, are much meaner to other women when it comes to physical attraction and physical appearance and things like that than men are. Believe it. Look, look I'm the worst when it comes to dressing. Clothes don't fit me right. You know, I, I, between athletic build, gaining weight, losing weight, everything else, I, I'm a mess when it comes to dressing. I'm the last person to give style advice, and I don't. So, and I know many guys that are like me we're, we, we, we're lucky we can put pants on the right way. Um, you know, so it, it, believe me, it's not coming from men, women. It's, it's, it's you doing it to each other. Um, so I, I went on that topic a lot longer than I, I thought I would. Next thing I want to get to is a TV show on FX people versus OJ Simpson. Now I remember this case vividly. This was when I was in law school, just getting out of law school. This case was going on and I, I, we spent many an hour in law school watching this case. And 
I was of the opinion as the case was happening that the, the prosecution was botching this case. And I still to this day don't believe the prosecution proved that case beyond the reasonable doubt on what I saw. And I didn't see all of it. I was not in that courtroom. And as someone who was not in the courtroom, if you couldn't convince me with the evidence that I had seen on TV, um, the the chase and everything else, I mean, you, you must have really screwed that case up. The amazing thing that I'm seeing from this, though, and I, I know it's TV. I know this is acting. Believe me, I'm in the business. I get it that it's all you know, it kind of dramatized is the only way to say it. But man, are they absolutely destroying some of the players involved in this case? I mean, Bob Shapiro, Robert Shapiro, the attorney who was the original attorney for O.J. Simpson, who is being portrayed by John Travolta, is really made out to be a villain in this case in the way he handled it as a lawyer. I mean, this is malpractice. There's, there's no question about it. Um, watching that case, I mean, I, I'm sitting there, based on New Jersey rules, this guy committed malpractice at seemingly every twist and turn between trying to sabotage his own case, between trying to convince his client to take pleas that the client had no interest in, um, and then you know, using certain tactics that you went against ethical standards. I, the more I watched this case, the more I thought to myself, my God, this is a disaster. Um, Marsha Clark, her character is being absolutely slaughtered on this show. And I'm watching that and I'm thinking to myself, how did the lead prosecutor, Gil Garcetti, give this high-profile case to someone going through a divorce at the time? I mean, it, it, why would you dump this important of a case on someone going through such a traumatic event in their life? And you say, well, you know what? Suck it up. Suck it up. You're you're talking about a defendant who had, you know, a, li a list of who's who in criminal defense law representing him. Were you trying to win this case? Or did you just say, here, Marsha, you know what? You're in charge of this division. You take the case. I'm going through a divorce. Ah, you know what? Figure it out. Yeah, I know they got 30 attorneys on the other side of the table and the best experts in the world, but figure it out. This, I'm telling you, watching this case, it's unbelievable how they are making these attorneys look inept. Um, even Johnny Cochran, who comes out to be, you know, smelling like a rose at the end of this thing, you know, th they're portraying his character as this win at all cost kind of guy. This is brutal to the players involved. And then there's the collateral people that are involved in this. You know, um, Robert Kardashian's character is played by David Schwimmer, who I don't think anyone can play this character better than David Schwimmer. I, I'm not a fan of the TV show Friends. He was always kind of that whiny guy. And man, if, if they wanted to portray Bob Kardashian as this kind of weak, whiny guy, there's no one else better to cast than David Schwimmer because he is just portraying that character perfectly. And you're even seeing in the kids, which you know at the time they're very young, the Kardashian girls, you're seeing the obsession with fame that started in this family from this trial. So if you haven't watched the show um, and, and you grew up during that era and you remember it, watch it just for entertainment purposes, how they're slaughtering all of the people involved in the show. And the person who looks like he's next in the barrel 
is Chris Darden, who the character who's playing Chris Darden, my God, he looks exactly like Chris Darden. It's eerie how the, 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 they've managed to cast people that look just like the people in a TV show. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something to watch because they are really destroying everybody involved in the case with the exception, thank God, of the victims. So the victims are the only people not getting destroyed in this thing. And, and you know, I was worried about how this was going to affect the, the, the Brown family and the Goldman family. Um, and I know the, the Brown family is very upset about it. But really what it's showing is how that case was about everything but justice and law. It really was about everything but justice and law, which is going to segue me into something else. I, you know. I, I practice laws as well as um, being a comedian. And one of the things I, I come across is certain cases. And, you know, I thought to myself, I, I would be doing a disservice to my listeners if I didn't at some point in time inject some of what I do during the day as a lawyer uh, and a former judge into these podcasts. And I came across a case um, during my continuing legal education courses that blows my mind, especially considering how a lot of people feel about the Supreme Court and their recent decisions um, and, and Justice Scalia, how he is hated and, and even after death mocked. Here's a decision on a case that came out in 2014. And for those of you that want to look the case up, the name of the case is Hein, H E. I-E-N versus North Carolina. And the citation of the case, if you have to actually want to look it up, lawyers, or anyone out there, is 135 Supreme Court 530, and it's a 2014 decision. So once again, it's Hein, H-E-I-N versus North Carolina, and the citation for research purposes is 135 Supreme Court 530, decided in 2014. The decision on this case was not close, and I'm going to tell you what the vote was at the end. But basically, here's what this case says, and I'm, I'm going to read this paragraph. A police officer on routine patrol conducted a motor vehicle stop when he observed that a vehicle he was following had a brake light that was not working. Okay, so a cop is on duty, on patrol, sees a car, brake light is out. As a result of the motor vehicle stop, the police conducted a consensual search of the automobile and recovered distribution levels of illegal drugs. So cop is on patrol, car's got a taillight out, pulls the car over, says to the driver, I want to search your car. Do you give me consent to search the car? Because you have to get consent on an on a, on a, uh, automobile search if something is not in plain view. The driver said yes. Now, one of the things we discussed is the percentage of people that give consent on motor vehicle searches in the state of New Jersey, they had a statistic, and I got this from Bob Ramsey, um, who's just an absolute genius when it comes to this stuff. He said 95% give of people give consent on a motor vehicle stop. I find that to be absolutely impossible. Impossible. There is no way you're going to convince this criminal defense attorney, this former judge, that 95% of the people are actually giving consent to search. No way. No how. This is, in many forms and in many ways, 
It's intimidation. This has got to be intimidation. Absolutely has to be that people are in a position that they're fearful and they, they only give the consent to search because of the, the current situation or they're handcuffed, they're in, they're in their, a police cruiser, something other than, yeah, go ahead and search the car. Because if you're in your car and you know you have drugs or something illegal in it, why the hell would you give consent to search the car in 95% of the cases? It, it, it makes no sense to me. So think about this. Guy's got a brake light out, gets pulled over. And there's, he, he knows, he's got to know there's drugs in the car. Okay. At the motion to suppress, so the defense attorney for the, the owner of the car files a motion to suppress the evidence. The defendant argued that the motor vehicle stop had been based upon a mistake of law in that North Carolina motor vehicle code does not require more than one functioning brake light. So... The fact that this police officer pulled up behind this driver and saw that the rear taillight, one of the rear taillights was out, does not give him a reason or justification to even stop this car because you don't need more than one brake light to work in North Carolina. So to stop in and of itself is illegal. Accordingly, the stop was not objective, objectively reasonable. However, listen to this. The Supreme Court ruled that the Fourth Amendment requires only reasonable conduct by police, not perfection. Thus, a reasonable mistake of law can be a sufficient justification for supporting the reasonable suspicion necessary to stop a motor vehicle. Let me put that in layman's terms. If a police officer who is trained to enforce the law makes a mistake in enforcing the law by stopping someone he shouldn't have ever been stopping in the first place, that stop is not deemed to be a problem, even though he's supposed to know the law, and that anything that winds up coming from that unlawful stop can be justified based on a reasonable suspicion. Well, what is your reasonable suspicion? The only reasonable suspicion is the, the, the taillight is out. You made a mistake. How can you go from making a mistake of law to, well, I had a reasonable suspicion necessary. There's no suspicion here. The only suspicion was the taillight is out. Then you stop the car. You start asking questions. You uncover drugs. Now, this person goes to file this motion to suppress, and the, this goes all the way to the Supreme Court because the, the, the lower cases obviously botches. Then goes to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court says the Fourth Amendment basically protects police officers in this circumstance that, yeah, eh, you know what? You don't have to be perfect. You just got to be reasonable. Now, I want to point out that this decision— by our Supreme Court that everybody just went absolutely crazy over when it came to the gay right marriage and everything else, you know, the 5-4 decision and it was passed. This law was decided by a 7-2 to two margin. That's not close. 7-2 to two in favor of a police officer being able to uncover illegal 
items in a car in a search that was not pursuant to a legal stop. That absolutely blows my mind. Now, in contrast, the state of New Jersey, interestingly enough, has a court decision that predates this. And the court decision in the state of New Jersey is, is State versus Puzio, P-U-Z-I-O, um, 379 NJ Super, 378 Appellate Division, 2005 case. So because New Jersey's decision came out 10 years or 9 years before this case was decided, the state of New Jersey's rationale is, listen, we're we're not even going to talk about the Fourth Amendment. We just think it's ridiculous that this is even in play. We think this whole notion of an illegal stop, basically, produces, you know, some type of evidence is reasonable if the attorney acts reasonable. I'm sorry, if the if the if the officer acts reasonable. Well, again, it's it's a contradiction in terms. It can't be. You can't make an unlawful stop and it be deemed reasonable. This this blew my mind when we came across it today. And I have said, you know what, I, I have to point this out to people in my podcast, especially when it comes to to the law and everything else that's going on. I know some of you are very interested in that, but I wanted to bring light to this case because, you know, when, when you get into all kinds of motor vehicle stops and everything that's been going on in the country and Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter, and I, and I don't get caught up in all that Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter. Every life matters. This is a question of police training. And to me, police officers have to know the law, much like as a lawyer. I have to know the law. I have to know the rules. When I go to court, I can't make a mistake in there. If I do, I lose. And and the same thing should apply to anybody in law enforcement. If you stop somebody with the taillight out and the, the your own code in your own state says, no, as long as you got one taillight that's working, that's harassment. That's a form of harassment. And you say, well, you know what? I don't have to be perfect. I just have to be reasonable. Well, then what isn't unreasonable? Then anything in a, in a police officer's mind technically could be deemed reasonable. I don't know. I, I would love to hear some of your, your feedback on that. I, I just find it to be very interesting that that case happened with this Supreme Court uh, in 2014. And and that's going to lead me to my final topic. You know, I, I've been, again, this, this Donald Trump thing and, and everything going on in, in the media, um, everything seems to be, at the drop of a diamond. It's so funny because with this case that I just referred to, People versus OJ, the TV show, that was back in 1996. We're in 2016. Our country was very racially divided in the 90s with um, what had happened in California and, and Reginald Den- Denny case and um, the, the whole thing with um, Rodney King. And then the OJ case came along and... Um, you know, now we have everything going on with black lives and blue lives. And then we have everything going on right now with Donald Trump and whether or not he's inciting people to violence and everything else. And, you know, it seems that everyone takes an opportunity wherever possible and makes something race related. And I'm sorry, but to me, this notion that racism is limited to 
white, and black is, first of all, just absolutely insane. And that is the media playing on us people. The media loves to divide us. They really do. That's how they control us. As long as they continue to pound differences between us into our, our heads, they separate us. It's divide and conquer. And the government loves to do this. The media loves to do this. This is how you control people. The best way to control people is to make sure that you keep reminding them how different they are. And this way you could deal with them in small pockets and in small groups rather than one big mass. That's how you control people. Okay. And the media plays off what our government does, which is divide and conquer. And the media loves to do this. They love to turn everything into a race issue because it gets people upset. It gets people fired up. And you see all kinds of stuff on social media with regards to racism. And it's, you know, a, a, always a white guy on a black guy or a black guy and a white guy. And very rarely do you see other forms of racism when racism exists in every culture and every society. Stop it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Racism is out there in every culture and in every society, period, end of story. And to say that it's not is ignorant, okay? Then there's a big difference between being a racist and saying things of a racial nature. And specifically, I'm talking about comedy. I'm talking about entertainment. And we're seeing it in cinema. We're seeing it in film. And I know a lot of people, Spike Lee has a problem with Quentin Tarantino and what he does in his movies and the use of the N-word. And all kinds of things when it comes to that and humor on stage and jokes and things that are, are then taken. And, well, is it a joke or is it? To me, it's not as much about racism in this country that really should be the concern as much as it is about class distinction. And I think as a society, we need to realize that when you reach or attain a certain level of wealth, your distinction, depending upon race, religion, or whatever, whatever differentiates you as a person in the middle class or lower, you become wealthy. That distinction, in my mind, based on what I've seen, changes if not disappears altogether. I think the real distinction in this country is socioeconomic. I think it's about finances. I think it's class war warfare. And I think people really need to wake up when it comes to what our media is doing to us, what our government is doing to us, in, in trying to constantly pound into our heads how we are different, how we are distinct. Because in the end, the only distinction, the only difference I see between us and our society is our ability to live in certain neighborhoods and afford certain things that other people can't. I'm sorry. I think it's more about wealth distinction in this country. I think it always has been about wealth distinction in this country and not about race distinction. I think the race distinction in this country is the ultimate smokescreen that is used to divide us. I really do. I think the media and the government knows how to play us. And the way they play us is to constantly shove down our throat how 
We are fighting amongst ourselves by pointing out our differences to us. Mind you, they never show us how we're the same. They show us how we're different. And, you know, where I got a lot of this opinion is just on watching the news, but it also comes from one of the best comedians to ever live, and that's George Carlin. And George, God rest your soul. Let me tell you, in your late years, I thought you were getting preachy. Now that I've looked at some of your stuff, you know what? You were onto something, man. You were a genius well ahead of your time. You were right. I apologize to you. George, God bless you, man, because you nailed this thing. It's divide and conquer here. So that's episode number 41. Did some different stuff here. Hit on some... uh, Pop culture, hit on some law, mixed it up a little bit. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, It means the world to me that you guys tune in. Please spread the word about the podcast, and I'm going to once again try to come back next week with something fresh, something fun. Everybody, enjoy. Thank you.